live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up, though, on the social media accounts because we definitely want to keep that interaction going. Head on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. All that and so much more you can find. And always remember to use the hashtag odphpod. So let's kick off this entertainment edition of the show recapping and giving our review to one of the most highly anticipated movies of the year. Enemies of the State. No. Mandibles. Oh, I don't even know about that one. Even in your dreams. Uh, that's a big no. John in the Hole. <laughs> I don't know what movies you're going to see without me. I just, went, I just went to the bottom of the box office mojo list. Oh, I was going to say, because I don't even remember those seeing trailers for half of those. No, we are going to be talking about James Gunn's epic masterpiece, The Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. The 2021 follow-up to the original introduction of Task Force X to the DCEU. Yep. And man, oh man, did it make a debut. Pad, you got numbers for us? Yeah, so uh, it was the number one film domestically over the weekend at the box office, uh, finishing with a total gross of $26,205,000. Uh, sorry, let me try this again. 26 million. $205,415, uh, beating out Jungle Cruise, which finished in second, uh, Old finished in third, Black Widow finished fourth, and then Stillwater in fifth place. Absolutely wild. Yeah, say, and then for total, uh, it has grossed, as I mentioned, the $26 million and change uh, domestically, uh, $45,200,000 even internationally for a grand total worldwide thus far, $71,405,415. Like I say, this is a win. In the COVID era, this is a win. And that's why I say we have to remember that, too. And especially there is the big X factor. Mm -hmm. That even with a subscription-based streaming service, with HBO Max, they aired it same day. Mm -hmm. There was no additional fees to go watch. Correct. The fact it still made this much money at the box office and factoring all that in, that's the wild take for me. Yeah, let's say it is the number one grossing R-rated film during the pandemic era, which, yeah. no surprise. Oh, no real surprise there, but just to think about with the drama you hear with Black Widow and everything that was going on with Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. taken away from profits, this is kind of an a, anomaly to itself because with this movie franchise, we weren't really sure how it was going to be accepted at the box office. Yeah. We thought it was going to do well. Oh, yeah. But you have to remember, okay, well, there's no additional fees if you're a subscriber to HBO Max. Right. You get it right to your service. You can watch it. You don't have to go pay any additional fees. How would that take away from the audience? Yeah. Hitting over $20 million, I still think, is a big win. Yeah, and, and that's especially with uh, the chief executive over at HBO Max, Andy Forcell, saying that uh, Suicide Squad is the second most viewed day-and-date day film premiere. Uh, so basically what that means is for the for the day it premiered on HBO Max, it is the second most viewed 
film uh, on that service, which people they didn't give out any firm numbers, but people just kind of figuring things out and reading you know, pr- previous articles and headlines. Sounds like it's uh, number two behind Mortal Kombat, which makes sense. Because that, yeah. that was a big watch along there. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't think it topped Wonder Woman 84, but that no. was the first Wonder, big block, Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, Wonder Woman 84 was number one because that was the first one to come out right. you know, on, on the service. Uh, that was then beat by Godzilla vs. King Kong, which then got beat by Mortal Kombat. And now you've got uh, the Suicide Squad as number two. Mm. Although, let's face it, we get to the end of the year, Dune is going to blow all of them out of the water. It should. We'll, we'll dive into Dune a little more when we get closer, but... For right now, Suicide Squad is king. It yeah. is the big blockbuster that we were all expecting. So let us talk some spoilers in our review so we give you fair warning right now. When we get done with the countdown, we are going to deep dive into James Gunn's epic masterpiece. So if you want to avoid it right now, we'll timestamp it in the notes. We give you fair warning because in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think? Holy fuck, this movie was violent. Like, <laughs> yes, like I even my girlfriend Liz went to see it with us and she we got to the end and I'm like, oh, so what do you think? She goes, that was good. But holy crap, that was violent. And and I was expecting a certain level of violence just because given what Task Force X does mm. and, and what entails with their job that I, I expected a certain level of violence. But God damn, that was a whole other level of violence. It was awesome, though. It was amazing. We went with a big crew. We had uh, our friends over at 8122 Productions with us. Rich and Diesel were in the house. Uh, Excite Wrestling was represented by the one and only Johnny Moose and Sean Carr. Lincoln came through. We had a, a big squad with us for this yeah. movie. No pun intended. And man, oh, man, did it deliver. But, yeah, this movie, I was expecting it to be a little over the top because James Gunn basically was given the toys and said, have fun in the, in the toy box. Do what you want. And to really illustrate Task Force X, we have to remember the Suicide Squad is not a happy-go-lucky book. No. If you've ever read it in the 1980s, John Ostrander's run is amazing. And even Tom Taylor's most recently, and in between two, I mean, there has been moments. You really understand this is not a happy book by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not Sunshine Daisies and a good moral ending. No, absolutely not. It is absolutely terrible sometimes, and that's what makes it great because this is not your typical superhero team. You can't even call them superheroes because they're mostly villains that are given an ultimatum by the one and only Amanda Waller who says if you do these suicide missions for us, we will t- take years off your sentence. Yeah, I think it was, I think in the movie they said it was like 10 years or something. Yeah, I, it kind of varies a little bit in the comics. but Which for some of these guys who are serving multiple life sentences, well, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, but what else are you going to do in the stage? Because yeah. the one thing about Amanda Waller in the comics is she is a walking force of nature in her own right. And mm-hmm. there's nobody that plays her better than Viola Davis. I say the, everyone's heard the, the old saying, it's it's you know my way or the highway. For her, there is no highway. No, absolutely it, It's not. her way or you're dead. Exactly. And like I say, Viola Davis absolutely knocks it out of the park every time she plays this role. Nobody comes close to her about this. Nobody. But as we kick off with the movie, though, we do see that they don't waste a lot of time doing a backstory. No. Because uh, I know this is supposed to be like a quote-unquote sequel to the 2016 movie David Ayers did. I know certain characters are returning. Yep. They hit the ground running. And yeah. they give you just a quick once-over what is entailed with Task Force X. That everybody at Bell Review Prison is, ta- or, yeah, Bell Review is taken to work for Amanda Waller. Mm-hmm. And she basically picks and chooses her... Uh, team if you yep. will like it's so weird saying a team but it is and they are assigned to do their missions they're implanted with bombs in their head so if they decide to go away from plan 
she can make their head explode at any point. Yeah, and as she said in the movie, listen, you're no real loss. Exactly. She illustrates this point very well because once we see Michael Rooker's character of Savant kicks off the film yeah. and you get the walkthrough with another amazing soundtrack, that this is what James Gunn does amazing uh-huh. too. He finds a way to really give you a kick-ass soundtrack in the middle of all of this insanity that you see on screen. And then we see that they are assigned to go and to the Corto Maltese. Uh-huh. Where they're assigned a simple recon mission, to say the least, and it goes completely out the window the minute they hit the ground. Yeah, like they don't even hit the ground. They're still in the water. Shit goes south. Oh, it goes south because once the team is comprised of Captain Boomerang, Blackguard, Javelin, TDK, Mongal, Weasel, and a returning Harley Quinn. Yeah. Along with Savant. Yeah. Uh, you know it's going to be one of those kind of missions when Weasel jumps out of the plane and nobody actually checks to see if he can swim. Yeah, so we also should mention uh, Colonel Rick Flagg is also with him, uh, returning from the first movie. But yeah, no, they, they go to jump out of the helicopter and everyone's kind of hesitant, so we, you know, they all start jumping out. Weasel jumps into the, into the water and then he starts drowning. Uh, and they really, I forget whether it was Rick Flagg or somebody else, they get on the radio and go, I think it was Rick Flagg, goes, did anybody bother to check if Weasel can swim? And Waller, without saying anything, just looks back at her crew that's, you know, working the comms and the computers and everything else. And they're all like, uh, whoops. Yeah, it's kind of a really quirky humor in this very serious moment of the film, which they play off very well, especially Joel Kinnaman, who is reprising his role as Rick Flagg. And obviously Margot Robbie is returning as Harley Quinn from the original 2016 film. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, though, is basically disposable in this because in the opening minutes of the film christ almighty everybody is taken out because blackguard played by the one only pete davidson apparently cut a deal with the wrong people and they get completely blown away on the island yeah they, they finally make it to the beach they're ready to start making their way towards the tree line and he just starts walking he's like oh don't worry guys i got this uh you know hey guys i brought him here just as i promised the lights turn on you know, oh, hey, it's me. Like, I talked to you. I, was, I, I told you I'd bring them, and here they are. And, oh, whoops, uh, that didn't work. Yeah, so by the time that that's all said and done, Harley Quinn's been captured. Rick Flagg is missing in action. And on the other side of the island, though, is where our real Suicide Squad team is. Well, we got to mention everyone else on that beach is dead. Yes. Oh, they all got completely killed off in the first 10 minutes of the film. Which, it was funny, I know somebody online said... You know, I thought it was really weird and bizarre that Pete Davidson wasn't doing press for this movie. And then I got to the movie and found out why he wasn't doing press for the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, they didn't want to tip off too much because obviously yeah. if you know the film, somebody is not going to survive this. It, it Suicide Squad, the members don't usually come back. Well, and, and also why do press for a movie you're in 10 minutes of? Well, you also have to say to keep the illusion up. Yeah, Because, I mean, Jai Courtney, who came back as Captain Boomerang 2, he was killed off in the first minutes. True. I mean, and they did it in very graphic fashion. And too. what was bizarre about that was that he said he almost wasn't able to make the movie because it was he almost had a scheduling conflict. Yeah. And I'm thinking, really? Scheduling conflict? You were out in 10 minutes. Although maybe that was written in because of the scheduling conflict. I don't know. It's hard to say because everybody was being very coy about that'll, that'll be on the, what their involvement was going to be in. That'll be on the Blu-ray or DVD when it comes out for like the audio commentary. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see about that. But like we say, we, they, we finally get introduced to the real team. Of Bloodsport, played by the one and only Idris Elba, who was fantastic in this role. Peacemaker by John Cena. We had Polka Dot Man, who I got to say, I did not expect him 
to be as good as he was. Yeah, especially you look up the the powers and what he can do, and you're like, really, this guy? But then ended up being really great. Oh yeah, I mean, he absolutely had some scene stealing moments. David Delchame mm-hmm. uh, was fantastic, and even Rat Catcher Two, played by Daniela Melkor. Yeah. Seriously, stole the movie in scenes that I honestly was hearing this lineup originally and going, what is going to go on here? Because yeah. I don't see how this, this is going to play out. Yeah, and you know, this isn't a spoiler. James Gunn said that originally he had planned for Ratcatcher 2 to die at one point in the movie, but just the repertoire he had with the actress and on set and, and during the filming, he, he grew to like her so much that he, you know, all right, you know what? We're going to change the ending of uh, her character. And, you know, I want to see her in like an HBO Max show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they have a lot of potential. They really want to build this franchise up. But we can't forget about one of the most key members of the team. The Sylvester Stallone voicing King Shark. Goddamn. How good was this? Holy shit, this was awesome. Yes. So this ragtag group of villains is now on a seek-and-destroy mission, so to speak, because they get, they're get assigned to go find Rick Flagg. Yep. Which Waller has always been very loyal to Rick Flagg, no matter what. And he has always been somebody that is the, I guess I would say, the most noble of any incarnation of the Suicide Squad mm-hmm. in whatever comic you've read. Mm-hmm. If he's been there, he's the closest to a good guy that you're going to find. So as they're going through and they have to stumble across a rebel uh, militia group, Yep. Uh, you can definitely tell these guys are not on a team page because as they stumble across their base where they get an idea where Rick Flag is, Yep. what happens, Pad? Uh, they kill everyone only to find out Rick is working with them because they get Amanda Waller tells them, hey, listen, I know you got this mission, but you got to go find Rick. Here's where his location is, and they start sneaking through. And the whole time there's this awesome montage of John Cena and Idris Elba trying to one-up each other. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fucking hilarious. And so they finally get to, they're like, all right, everybody else is dead. Like, scene is going, like, Elba's taking out primarily, you know, the soldiers and the guys that are armed with with weapons. Scene is going through and killing everybody. I think at one point he kills this, like, woman who's just there cleaning dishes or washing clothes or something. You know, they're just going through. They're taking out the whole camp. They finally get to the main uh, tent where, they, all right, this is the headquarters where everybody is. This is where they got to be holding them. And he's sitting there holding, like, you know, having a cup of tea or coffee or something with the head of the resistance. And they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And, and even the head of the resistance is like, why didn't any of my my uh, crew warn me you were here? And so somebody goes, ah, well, uh, you know, yeah, funny about that. Well, that's the one thing that they really wanted to establish for these characters quick because – Unless you're a very diehard reader of the comics, mm-hmm. you had no idea who this team was. No. I mean, Bloodsport, we know from the comics, is most notably, uh, I would say, a marksman yep. that did some kind of assassin work, so to speak. But he's most notably known for shooting Superman with kryptonite, Yep, which they did touch upon in the movie very quickly. I mean, that's how he was in his mess. So Idris Elba definitely portrayed that role. And he does have a similar background to Deadshot in the comics. Yeah. The, they are driven basically for their families. So there is some kind of comparisons with Deadshot and Bloodsport in this, but Idris definitely made Bloodsport stand out on his own. Dom Toretto approves. Yes, he does. And then with Peacemaker, he is the perfect incarnation of Captain America and Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. Because he will literally kill anything and anyone for peace. Yeah. And, and, and in his head, he thinks it's right because there's one point in the movie he says... I will kill anything. I don't man, woman, or child. You know, if they are standing in the way of peace, I will kill them just to get to that peace. Mm-hmm. Which is a really bizarre and twisted sense of what peace is. But 
it's him. That's why I say he is a perfect mix of Captain America oh, yeah. and, and the Punisher. Yeah. And like literally how they make him work, because I've always seen him as such a D-list character in the comics. They did it fantastically. Even Polka Dot Man, who is not exactly a household name. Well, and especially with how they introduce him, they're like, oh, he shoots Polka Dots. And they're like, wait, are you serious? And then he does it like, okay, you shoot Polka Dots. It's like, that's your power? Like, talk about getting the short straw. Yeah, Dallas Machine, and I, ho- and I apologize for mispronouncing his name. He really gave something to this character because they really went into a different direction with him in his background where he was saying that he has to get rid of his polka dots because basically it caused like an internal acid burn uh, acid burner. Like there was like something about a pocket universe or like there was something bizarre that I thought would play into the story down the line, but didn't. Yeah, no, it's absolutely crazy of, of how they did this with that character. And then Ratcatcher can control rats, but even they gave her this very sympathetic backstory yeah. about her father was teaching her, but he had a drug problem too. Like it was so well done about explaining these characters that it wasn't so overbearing. Yeah. Like this is one thing that we always complain about with justice league, Mm -hmm. that if you're not into the comics and you don't recognize some of the characters, you need that quick once over to just really understand what they're doing. Gun hit all levels with this because they didn't spend a lot of time on it. But they give you enough that you, okay, you get what this yeah. character is doing. Yeah, they don't. You don't need a full, you know, half hour dialogue of who the character is, what their motivations are, and why they're doing what they're doing. It's just, hey, here's their name, here's a little bit of backstory, and let's go. Yeah, and it definitely worked out in this favor too. Even King Shark got a quick one. Yeah. I mean, nothing super amazing to write home about, but everybody got explained because then once we find out why they're on their mission and how they're sent on this project to go recon an item that the government wants. Mm-hmm. They definitely get um, thrown off task a little bit because once Harley Quinn is in the mix, too, everything goes sideways. And this is something I do agree with Rich from 3FN, if you heard their latest episode about. This was my only, like, drawback of the film. Sure. They pair Harley with this prince of the Corto Maltese. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is basically choosing her to be his bride because yeah. of how strong-willed she is and how she is against the American government in his eyes. The country really wants it, which I'm like, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, this seems just really out of place. And they spent way too much time, in my opinion, on this quote-unquote love story because... Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. But Well, I understand they want to give Harley Quinn her time because she is now turned into the face of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And she's one of DC Comics' most popular characters. I get it. I mean, I understand why. I just thought for where this went to the overall version of the story, they drug it out. Yeah, I mean, one of my issues was the montage of them on the date, quote, yes. date, quote unquote. I was fine with it. It was funny. It dragged on a little bit. I mean... It, it was what it was. I wasn't super upset by it. it, it parts of it did go a little long, though. Yeah, that's the only thing I, I took away from it. Is like, okay, this. I know I understand they really want to get Harley Quinn over to the new viewers watching this. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, this is just kind of going off the, the storyline way too much. Because she winds up killing said prince because... Reasons. Uh, yeah, reasons. Well, no, well, no, it's... Uh, he, <laughs> no, it's reasons. No, it's reasons. It's reasons. I, what, what was it he said that, like, he'd be willing to kill kids? Yep. You know, and I'm heavily paraphrasing, but he's, he said he'd be willing to kill kids. And that was a red flag to her that, like, oh, once she got on, out from under some old boyfriends, you know, she, she'd pay attention to any red flags and she wouldn't let them, you know, go by without looking into them. And, and him being willing to kill kids was a red flag. So she killed him. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect Harley Quinn moments, though. I will say they really nailed her writing in this. Movie. Yeah. So, I, like I said, 
it's my only drawback because they took too long to get there. But once they got there, okay, it made sense. And as we see, she's now captured, which Amanda Waller keeps flagging different missions for them going on. Because it went from the simple recon, the item that the government was looking to get rid of. Uh, get in, get out. You're not even going to try and take out the government. Yeah. To then, well, we got to go get Harley because Rick Flagg has a connection with Harley from the original movie. Which, I mean, like I said. Yeah, they, they don't leave anybody behind. Yeah, it's like I said, he's the most noble character in this film. So they have to get, break away from their original plan, which is also to catch up to the thinker. Played by one Peter Capaldi. Uh-huh. Doctor Who came in. And we've seen the thinker, the mad scientist, in The Flash. And they didn't really spend a lot of time with him. But they have to get to him to get access into the building to go get the object. Mm-hmm. So they have to get a little sideways for this to do the, the rescue. Albeit, though, it was a great scene to see the rescue. Because Harley Quinn takes out everybody. But not before doing something in the film that we all thought was a stunt double. Yeah, so she's tied up in this, like, empty room, you know, getting tased and tortured to hell where you think she's almost dead. Uh, the prince or the, the general or whoever walks out of the room, goes, oh, you know, wait, to, you know, tell me if she wakes back up, and then we'll try and get some more information out of her. So the guy turns, the guy torturing her turns around, and she then chokes him out, kills, snaps his neck. Uh, he falls to the ground, but the key to her hands, which are cuffed up in the air, is on the ground. So she reaches over to him with her bare feet, grabs the key, and then pulls her feet up over her head and unlocks the lock holding her hands together from the ceiling. Now, if you watch the movie, her face is obscured, so you think, oh, it's a stunt double. No, that was Margot. James Gunn was on, on Jimmy Kimmel, and you can find the, the clip online. But he, he said, you know, quote, Robbie is like a Swiss, a human Swiss army knife. And watching this scene with her flipping backwards was just beyond incredible. I was so happy uh, that it worked and I was mesmerized by it. And then I got into the editing room with the footage and she has a cuff on her outfit that covers her face. So it looks like it's a stunt person. It's my biggest regret. Close quote. So that whole scene is Margot Robbie. That's not a stunt double. Oh, it's fantastic. It's insane. It, it's absolutely insane to watch it. On the big screen because you're just like, holy crap. Yeah. And then she has a great action sequence fighting her way out of the building. And everything turns into butterflies. Yeah. Well, Is that, that how she th- sees things all the time? Yes. <laughs> they, they've illustrated that in the comics a little bit. Like, she sees everything in a little different version. But she also has been exposed to some chemicals, as we saw in the first movie. So uh-huh. you never know. I mean, this is what the Joker sees 24-7. She's, which, she's a few cards short of a full deck. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it made sense. For everything they were doing with her, like I said, they think they nailed Harley Quinn perfect in this oh, absolutely. Film, movie. But then as they do the big escape, and then they get back on track to go get the thinker, who they have to go pick up from a certain strip club. Yeah. And we did see a cameo. Yeah. From Mantis, who yeah. was in the Guardians of the Galaxy film, which nobody else could find. But, ah. Uh, yeah, I'm the, and Gunn did say the day the movie came out that there was a Guardians of the Galaxy Easter egg in the movie that he was surprised none of the reviewers had spotted yet. And I admit I missed it in the film because I was looking for something a little more obscure, maybe like a poster or like, you know, because there was a bunch of like graffiti on the buildings in, in the town in Corto Maltese. You know, so I figured it might have been on a poster or graffiti on one of the buildings or one of the names might have been, you know, like uh, in the Indiana Jones and in the Temple of Doom, the, mm-hmm. the name of the bar or club at the beginning of the thing is, is Obi-Wan. Yeah. I thought it would have been something like that. I did not see the obvious and yeah knowing it now and, and having seen the scene now where we see mantis how the hell did people miss that i don't know because the eyes gave it away for me when i saw it in the theater and we see palm clementif yep. uh is playing one of the dancers in the club so it was just kind of a cool combination and 
to see a little cameos from the Guardians world hit to the Suicide Squad world. But once they pick up the Thinker, they're on their way to the final mission. We got Harley in tow. And it seems like, okay, we're finally going to get somewhere with the big plan. Mm-hmm. And as they're breaking in to Utenheim, yep. which I believe is the name of the building, yeah. and they do find out what the project is after going through a lot of crazy explosives, a crazy yeah. uh, action sequence and yeah. pad. What is the big experiment? Well, so the, the before we get to that, the big thing with this building is that they say in the movie it's it was you know some of the uh, German scientists from World War II uh, escaped the country and, and went over and refuge over there and started some uh, not so friendly uh, experiments over there uh, that continued to that day. Uh, we find out that the uh, thing they're looking for is not big, not small. It's giant, fucking enormous. Uh, it is one Starro. Yeah, Starro the Conqueror, the original villain that the Justice League of America fought way back when in Brave and the Bold 28, all those years ago. I want to say it was around like 1958. Mm-hmm. So we finally see Starro in the DCEU, which is just absolutely insane. But it, it completely it works. It, it works. It completely works. And you see that the thinker is revealing everything about the plan because at this point it's Ratcatcher, Peacemaker, and Rick Flag that have separated from the group. Mm-hmm. You have Bloodsport, uh, Harley, and Polka Dot Man going in a different direction, basically trying to make sure that the explosives are going off and they're going to take care of the building. Yep. And you have King Shark just on his own doing King Shark things. Yeah. But it's okay because he's making bomb uh, stick figures that, of, that look, of that Peacemaker. Peacemaker that looks nothing like me. Oh, it's fantastic! Like it's 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 such a good scene too. Like you, you just, I, I can't do it justice trying to describe it. But as we see when we finally get everybody up there after they make the big entrance into the building, all the action sequences, the thinker breaks down and says, "Yeah, you know why Waller is here? <laughs> Waller wants to cover this up because the Americans brought this creature to Earth. Yeah, and it's going to be on them if it ever gets exposed because this is all their work right here." To which Rick Flag has that moral moment where he's like, "We have to expose this. We yeah. can't let this happen. This, you know, people need to know about this." And then, lo and behold, who decides to step up and get his way? Uh, peacemaker. Yes, because he is following the mission. Yeah, well, he's following the mission, but he's following a submission given by Waller to make sure that never gets out. Yes. To which Flag goes. Of course, Waller has a backup plan. Well, Waller does. Waller is the smartest person in the DCU. I'm sorry, she is literally light years ahead of everybody else when she's making moves. Hell, she pulls ones over on Batman all the time. Yeah. And I don't care about Batman in prep time. Waller would still take him out. Enough said. So during this, we get a very big skirmish going on between Flag and Peacemaker. And also, Starro is released at this point. Yeah. Which turns into a very horror movie-esque moment. Yeah. When you see the thinker who has been... Basically toying with him for decades. Thirty years, I think he's. I think it was said. Yeah, and is now finally getting some revenge as he's ripped in half very violently. Oh, not not ripped in half. Ripped in four different directions. Oh, yeah, fours. yeah, I forgot he, about that. He grabs his arms. He grabs his legs, and he pulls them all in separate directions. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's not one for this. To there's a few scenes in this movie that are not for the squeamish. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, I'm King Shark. I'm looking at you. Oh yeah, they go over the top of the violence, but that's what you get from these villains. I mean, we have to remember they're not good people for the most part. No. They do bad things. And we see that happen here because even during the battle between Peacemaker and Rick Flag, Peacemaker winds up killing Rick Flag, mm-hmm. impaling him and stabbing him right through the heart. 
And he's saying like as much as like you're good, we have to think of the good of the nation and the good that this is going to be done and the, we can't let out. The train of thought is just astounding. Yeah, I give John Cena his due. He's got a he's got a type he's playing right now. He does. But he flipped that switch because you know that he was going over the top with the, the peacemaker humor. Yeah. Even when he was talking about what he would do on that island if it meant bringing peace. He can flip that switch on to being dead serious, and he was. And he was almost, I don't want to say sympathetic in that certain moment, but I think he realized he killed a good man. Yeah. But he's like, I have to do what I have to do to ensure peace. And then Ratcatcher gets the floppy disk that has everything on it. Not uh, the hard drive, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she winds up taking off, and then Cena is going right after and that turns into a wild sequence, which at this point, too, the explosions that are going on the lower floors, the building is exploding. Starro is now getting free, so the rest of the team is now trying to run and save their lives. And you do see the Peacemaker is just about ready to kill Ratcatcher, and then Bloodsport jumps in. Mm-hmm. And they've been kind of having that back and forth all movie, too, so they get into that standoff. And then there's a little touchback to the beginning of the movie when they're talking about bullets. And then... Bloodsport uses a smaller bullet, an exploding bullet, to shoot right through Peacemaker's one. Because right before he's about to kill Ratcatcher, it goes right through the bullet. Yep. And kill what we think kills Peacemaker with a throat shot, I believe. Uh-huh. So he's left for dead. They try escaping, and they get out. But by this time, Starro is now free, running around the nation. Recreating aliens in the worst way possible. Yes, because, I mean, that's one thing he does in the comics is he takes over and basically impales somebody's face with a giant starfish. I, I got my aliens uh, reference. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's right to the letter of the comic. So at this point, too, Waller is saying, well, you've done your mission. Get the hell out of there. Yeah. And at this point, they realize, no, this creature is going to kill everybody on this planet yeah and and that's when i was sitting there like why would you have them leave like this thing is out this thing is going to leave the island if you think this is going to sit on corto maltese you are the dumbest person on the planet but she's not because you know what she was going to do get them out of there there's no involvement from the u.s government now because everybody has been taken out that knows anything about this she was getting them out and going to say okay justice league you come in and do your thing yeah, that is her thinking because that is how cold she is in the comics. This is what she does, and that is like, oh, this is brilliant. But then we see that these villains are now having a change of heart. Yeah, and you see that they're now warming up because there really is no incentive for them to do good. They just know that they're seeing innocent people now are going to get hurt, and you just see that they're having this change of heart because Bloodsport has to drive. Mm-hmm. And Waller is saying, no, you go back and you get out of there. This mission's over or I will blow all your heads off. Yeah, she's, she's screaming at him to the point where, like, the vein's popping out in her neck. Oh, yeah, because she doesn't want to do it. No. Because you're going to have to explain five dead bodies on that island that are not of Cordo Maltese descent. They are technically American prisoners that are over there. Yeah. So how are you going to explain that? Uh, they're, they're, they broke out of jail and went for a vacation. Exactly. So during this moment, it's a very big, tense moment. And then all of a sudden, somebody hits Waller and knocks her out. Oh. It's one of the tech crew that is in the yeah. uh, uh, Belle Reve prison. Yeah. And they basically say, do what you got to, and they're trying to help. So these heroes, I, I can't even call them heroes, this, <laughs> this group is basically on a proverbial suicide mission yet again to stop this alien creature they have no business getting near. 
And sure enough, though, they come up with a way to do it. I mean, Polka Dot Man uses his acid-piercing powers to basically take out a leg. Yep. And albeit when he does it, because he's so caught up in his own moment, he doesn't realize when a leg is coming down on him and and crushes him kills him. Yep. And then we see that Harley, who took the Spear of Javelin... Yep. Well, Joel Javelin gave it to her. He's like, oh, you're the only one who can take this, because... And then he dies earlier in the beginning of the movie. And she goes, because why? Because why? Because why? Yeah. So she now thinks that there's some mystic reason that she has this. Gets on a rooftop and jumps right into Starro's eye. Yeah. And a, little, a couple minutes before, she goes, I finally know what the javelin's for. And I'm like, how the fuck did you figure this out? Yeah. It's, it's hardly logic. <laughs> we always just define it as reasons. reasons. And as this is going on, too, Bloodsport is using his gun. And you see now the gun that allegedly took out Superman. Holy shit. In full force as he's firing rounds to Yo. buy time. And then during this entire mix, Ratcatcher comes up with a great way to make a save. Mm-hmm. Because she calls every single rat that she has anywhere Ugh. and basically unleashes them inside Starro. And he's eaten to death from the inside. That was disgusting. Oh, it's it's absolutely Oh, sickening. my God. I, I don't think it was everywhere. I think it was just every rat on the island, which was a disgusting amount of rats. Mm-hmm. I don't hate rats. I, I don't plan on having one as a pet anytime soon. If you do, I have no issue with that. That is your choice. That was fucking disgusting. Oh, absolutely. It's, was. Especially the aerial shot of them all running towards Starro and climbing up Starro. Like, ew. Oh, yeah. It was, it was it's, a, it's a wild visual, but it makes sense. And this is something that nobody else other than James Gunn could pull off because this was so over the top out there, but he made it work. We'll say also shout out Sebastian, the main rat, uh, voiced by one and only D. Bradley Baker. Yeah, Sebastian stole everybody's heart there. He's going to be getting plush dolls made if he doesn't have it already. It's, it's coming, folks. Get ready for it. And then we f- see that somehow, some way, the Suicide Squad makes the save. And they basically buy their way out of freedom because Bloodsport cuts a deal with Waller. Release us all from the bombs in our head, everything involved in this group, and this hard drive will never see the light of day. Yeah. And she agrees because she understands he'll hold his word, no question about it. Oh, yeah. And she understands that if that hard drive ever does, it's a whole different ballgame. So they cut the deal. And as they're taken out and brought back to Task Force X, which they'll get their release, that's how the movie wraps up. Mm-hmm. That suddenly these villains became heroes. The surviving squad of King Shark, Harley Quinn, Ratcatcher 2, and Bloodsport are the ones last standing during the entire Suicide Squad movie, which had like 20 heroes slash villains in this beginning. That just nuts. It's freaking psycho. It's awesome. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, it's just trying to wrap your head around it. Because usually in the comics, the team is very smaller. Yeah, yeah. So it's not ever this size when it first comes out. But this goes to show, okay, we took a chance and we really narrowed it down. So whatever happens for a possible sequel, because... Yeah, I mean, she, I mean, the large team at the start made sense because... Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're, inv- you're trying to invade a hostile, military-led nation, which they're, you know... You see the the movie, the guy, you know, uh, Pete Davidson sells him out, Mm. still gets killed. You know, so they're very much a shoot first, ask questions later if you're feeling like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it made perfect sense for the film, but just it's wild to think that they went that big with the cast and then narrowed it down. And then even when we get to the mid-credits scene, we see one person is not dead that we thought. Uh, This was probably the most predictable mid-credits scene ever. 
I would say so. Yeah. Because all of a sudden... Good. It was a good one, but I was like, once it was in the hospital and we saw it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because all of a sudden on the beach, you see Weasel wake up. Yeah. That Savant, who tried saving him and didn't, <laughs> and got his head blown off for his troubles. Uh, well, no, Savant tried running away from the beach once everyone started dying. Right. And, but, and Waller blew his head off. Yeah, he was trying to save, but then he was like, I'm out of here and I'm gone. Yes, we see the last person standing from that whole carnage is Weasel. Yeah. Who's now running around Cardo Montes. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, that could be another side movie. Who knows? He'll find his way off somehow. And then we do find out that we do have some of the uh, other higher-ups of Task Force X walking around in a hospital. Yeah. And lo and behold, we find that somebody was brought back from the mission as well, and that is Peacemaker. Yeah. So he did survive. Which was not surprising, given the fact, well, he's got a series that finished filming that's coming out on HBO Max. Right, which we have heard a little rumors that it's going to be uh, before and after Suicide Squad. So okay. it might be kind of a flashback thing. I read that on a couple different sites, so I'm waiting to get, like, a real confirmation. But to see that happen, I'm excited for it. Yeah. And overall, though, man, this movie hit on a lot of fronts. Oh, absolutely. I think that they gave heart to a very, very dark movie. Mm -hmm. That you had character moments that really stood out and really, I want to say, made you care about a Suicide Squad team that, frankly, in the first one, and this is not a shot at the, the first movie, though. Yeah. This one really just had a different vibe to it. And yeah. It, I, I know it's going to sound cliche, but it was like a family movie in a sense because... Dom Toretto approves. Yeah. Once you had that moments with Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2 yeah. and how well they were connecting yeah. and just getting away from being in the, you know, we're villains and we're doing this for, you know, just to get, save ourselves. Once you had those moments where everybody broke away and were doing their own thing... It really gave a different vibe to the film. Like I, I always go back to when they were in the yeah, club, yeah. and Rick Flag was like, "Hey, here's to the next three hours, and hopefully we're alive." Well, and I, and I think part of what helped with this movie is is the overall plot of like what they were trying to do was more believable. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with the first one, it's like, "Oh, hey, you got to go stop this supernatural being that's in the heart of a city." That like, okay, why wouldn't you just call like the Justice League or like some other powered? group to take care of this whereas with this it's like hey we need you to invade the you know basically invade this 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 island nation that's just had a coup a military coup you know dictators at the head of it and we got to get this thing out of there so it's like okay yeah you send in something someone like that you don't necessarily send in you know the top three justice league members in for something like that and then it built and escalated to that batshit craziness so i think that's part of what helped with this oh absolutely too i fully agree and that's the one thing about the suicide squad is you need those b-list characters because if you put on like harley quinn and you can name your justice league members if you wanted yeah you know damn well nobody's gonna get killed in that squad no so this one because of the stakes that are involved with this mission you had to have that sense of somebody's not coming back and that's where the suicide squad really hits home like Mm -hmm. You have to remember that, okay, these missions, they're not supposed to survive. They are expendable. Amanda Waller is one of the coldest people in the entire DCU. She does not care. She is get the job done. That's all that matters to her. You're not going to see her shed tears over anybody's loss. No. And they really demonstrated that with this film. And then, like I say, to have that little heart moments, the characters like Polka Dot Man, even though he is absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. Ratcatcher 2 was the like the heart and soul of the movie. So shout out her dad, Taika Waititi. Yeah. Like the fact that they made her such a sympathetic character it was just a truly phenomenal play. And then even to have it balanced out with John Cena as Peacemaker, who was so over the top in his stuff, but it made uh-huh. it work. But then when it came down to the fight between him and Rick Flag, 
this is where it works because yeah. you understand that, yeah, th- it's not an act what he's doing, but he's so convicted by his resolve here that this is what he wants to do. Like, he's willing to literally do anything to ensure, quote-unquote, peace, whatever he sees in his head. Yeah. It's a freaking mix of just so many different personalities, but yet they all work in this. And this is where you really capture that vibe of the film. Like, this is where it stood out more so than the other one. I think the other one was more along the lines of the team, and it was comics, and it was just straightforward business, which is nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But this one, you definitely had that kind of family vibe, like a quirky family vibe to it. And it it wound up resonating a lot more that you got attached to these characters a little more. Like I say, in the first film, it was what it was. Like I said, I thought it was okay. I mean, it's not my favorite film, but I understand what they were doing with it. The air's cut, and it is what it is. But this one, I think, just hit on so many other levels because it really gave characters you honestly did not care about. You made him care. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, kudos to James Gunn in the writing on this film. Seriously, this has a lot of win, a lot of crazy-ass violence. Uh-huh. Throughout, I mean, An absurd amount of violence. Yeah, but you need that, though. And I think for James Gunn, he finally got to do a, a crazy movie, and he understood what he was doing with oh, this. Oh, yeah. Because you can't have just this be normal. I'll I mean, say that, that level of violence, because I know we got out of the movie. I looked at, you, looked at you, I was like, all right, was that more or less violence than the uh, Expendables. Expendables movies? Uh, not Expendables one, but Expendables three. Yes. Yeah. Because it, but it needed to be because that's what kind of missions they do, and like I say, surprise they killed off some characters, but it is comics, so you never know who might come back. I could see some of them maybe possibly do something. Yeah, maybe. But probably not because I think when they do another sequel, we'll have another batch of characters involved. I don't know who they would add though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that'll be the big question, whatever they want to do for a sequel. Because I have to imagine they'll try pushing for one. Even though I don't think I've heard James Gunn say he wants to do one. I've, yeah, heard, I've heard they're talking. I heard they're talking because I think he had so much of a blast with this one and how well this one was received, too. Yeah. That he's been kind of teasing around maybe some ideas. I've heard a Harley Quinn solo movie, which I'd be perfectly fine with if that was the case, if that does come to fruition. Whatever he really wants to do with it, I think, would be very good. And if he wants to do another Suicide Squad movie... By all means, because this one was the movie that I think DC fans have been waiting for. That we didn't need everything as dark as the Snyderverse, and this one was not so over-the-top light-hearted. Yeah. It was a good mix of blend, and I think it just pays off that this one just stands out to be just a fun, fun view into a very, very dark place in the DCU. And it definitely showed a different side to the DC Universe that we haven't seen on the big screen thus far. So all that's being said, Pat, final thoughts on the film? Amazing film. I hope they do something with it uh, down the road. Absolutely. I'm with you. This one definitely hit it out of the park. I can't say enough good things about it. Only a couple things I can just be very picky about. But the fact that you had a movie starring Polka Dot Man, Ratcatcher 2, King Shark, Peacemaker, and Bloodsport, and made me actually care about each character, kudos to you, Mr. James Gunn. You put on a hell of a performance, and I cannot wait to see what happens next with the spinoff show, Spin-off shows, plural, because I could see something happening out of this or a possible sequel. Let's go, DC. Make it happen. We gave you our thoughts of Suicide Squad, but now let's hear yours, shall we? So hit us up on those social media accounts. Hashtag ODPHpod. James Gunn Suicide Squad film. Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm just calling today to see... Who is this? Uh, this is uh, Shane from the Good Game Guys. I'm not interested. I, I haven't even told you what it's about yet. Take me off your list. Ah, uh, okay. Goodbye. Son of a b- 
Bobby's cold calls aren't working, and I feel stupid. All I want is to get people excited about our show, The Good Game Guys, being available every Sunday morning on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever they get their podcasts. Because how else are people going to know that we cover the latest in video game news and do routine interviews with some of the best folks in the podcast community? They won't, unless I, I make more calls. So. Hello? Hi, this is Shane from The Good Game Guys. How are you today? Follow us on Twitter at GoodGameGuysPod. Coming back for another segment here on the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk about the lead-in to the finale uh-huh. that is the CW's best show on TV right now. Arguably the best show on TV right now. You can make that argument for right now, but we have to talk about Superman and Lois came back uh, from being on a little hiatus. The one thing I, I came, to, came back and my power didn't try to go out. Seriously, like the last couple episodes where it's come back or been an episode, my powers tried to go out. Yeah, I don't know if it's the Eradicator doing its job. I don't know what's going on with the two because obviously the schedule has kind of jumped around in the past few months about when episodes are coming. But this yeah. has been the first one since we've seen since July 20th. So we have to discuss what happened on episode 14 entitled The Eradicator. Mm-hmm. So if you do not want to be spoiled, and I don't blame you if you don't because the show is fantastic. We're giving you fair warning now. We give that countdown. We jump right into spoilers. So that being said, three, two, one. Had, what did you think? I thought it was a really great episode. Uh, it was a nice little, kind of like a little interlude for the first half of it, kind of building off of where they came uh, from the previous episode, you know, and then leading into the events. And I'm like, all right, I got to a point I'm like, all right, this stuff's got to start getting crazy here because the finale's next week. And it did. Yo, boy. Mm-hmm. It picked up at the later end for me. Like, I like this episode. Don't get me wrong. But I think maybe it was, it's been off TV for so long. Mm-hmm. Just the hiatus kind of threw me off for a little bit because I had to remember, okay, what's going on because the events that have been going on in the little small town of Smallville have not been so small. No. Because we have seen this season the emergence of Tal Rowe, a.k.a. Morgan Edge, played by Adam Rainer, who is Superman's half-brother. Yeah. And how his plan is to basically take over this world and recreate Krypton in its fashion. Still hearing a half-brother is still weird. It it is. And I'm surprised the comics have not jumped on this yet. They probably will at some point. I, I, I don't blame them. They need to. And then we see Tyler Hoechlin, a.k.a. Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, who has publicly said he wants to play this for a long time, and by all means, go right ahead, sir, Yeah, is trying to rally Smallville and the world and figure out, okay, what is the next play here? Because there has been a lot of damage done to Smallville, yeah. and he knows that this is going to spread out. It's a couple, he, a couple issues. Nothing a little elbow grease won't, won't work out. Well, you would think so, but the damage done by Morgan Edge, who is basically funding the city. Oh, you mean the psychological stuff. Yes, has really taken a toll on the town. You're seeing businesses are struggling. Yeah. People are evacuating Smallville left and right. So they're getting out like it's their job. Yeah, and you're seeing the DOD is still hanging around town. Sam Lane is still running the city. So Dylan Walsh has basically become public enemy number two behind Kyle Cushing uh, (laughs) with everything going on. And the town is getting very, very restless, and Superman is trying to do his best to calm everything down with Lois's help. And we see that everything is just moving at such a a breakneck pace with dealing with the fallout. And I thought they spent a lot of time on dealing with Smallville this episode instead of just going right back into the threat at hand with Tal Rowe. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad about it, but I was like, okay, I thought they just kind of were 
going over everything again and again and again because they were really emphasizing about how the Cushings were trying to sell their house like everybody else. So Lana, yeah. Kyle, and Sarah were going to be taking off, and then obviously we just had the romance begin between Sarah and Jordan Kent. So you know we have that little teenage drama, which I get. Yeah. But it just kind of seemed like they were just pushing that so much at the beginning of the episode. I was like, okay, we need to kind of get back to where we're talking about yeah. the villain at hand because where we kick off the episode, he's at the sun. Yeah. Well, he's on the other side of the sun. Yes. And hidden away from Earth. Yes. He's hidden away and just basically roiding up, so to speak. Yeah. Because he is absorbing a lot of solar energy. So and he's getting a lot of vitamin D. And he's got voices in his head. They talk to him. They understand. They Rev, talk. Rev Theory approves. Yes. And so does Randy Orton. Hopefully. Otherwise, I don't, I'm going to get hit with an RKO. Nevertheless, on Earth, we are dealing with this in the town hall meeting, which is going completely out of hand. Oh, what are you talking about? It went great. Oh, well, you would think so, but Lois Lane <laughs> is trying to be the PR person to everybody and knows that there is a super big problem with this yeah. going on. I mean, I applaud yeah. Elizabeth Tolick for doing what she can with this with the moment because she was you know, being the very sympathetic to the town, as she should be. And but we do see that Derek Powell's mother comes out of nowhere and yeah. she starts grilling yeah. General Lane about yeah. what's going on. Yeah, this this town hall already wasn't going well. This town hall was planned, you know, because folks got questions. He wants to give answers, you know, he being General Lane. Uh, but earlier that same day, uh, the Smallville newspaper ran a story about you know basically dragging the dod in front of the bus so to speak you know and, and dragging them through the mud and, and laying a lot of the blame at the their feet uh and, and it really added gasoline to a fire that didn't really need it so that when they finally get to said uh town hall meeting the crowd the crowd has already riled the fuck up and chanting get out you know we we hate you among very many other things mm-hmm. the mother shows up like you said and wants answers and he can't give them because well it's classified yeah and and it just goes south and south and south and i got to say generally you need a uh, little bit of uh, pr lessons yeah he was definitely not being warm and sympathetic towards everybody he, he isn't though i mean that's just how he is like i get that some stuff classified but you got to give him a little bit of a carrot yeah, you, he, you, you can't just answer every question. That's classified. Sorry, I can't tell you. Classified. But, but you know what? I kind of understood why he did that, though. Not because it was his job. But he's so used to dealing with Metropolis yeah. and the big cities. Yeah, and the, and the big press. Yeah, like, no offense, but the small vote Gazette's not exactly making him too worried. Even though that is now apparently up for sale. Yeah. Which is we're, just... We're getting bought by a multinational, multinational conglomerate. Can we say LexCorp? Uh, I would like to think so. That's my guess at that. Because who owns the Daily Planet and the comics currently? Well, that'd be Lex. Yes. So, foreshadowing for next season. So, it, we'll have to wait to see how this all shapes out. But we do see, though, there's a lot of moving and shaking going on in Smallville. Like we said, the Cushing's family is planning on moving. Kyle gets offered a job in Bristol County. Which so, is like two hours away. Yeah, so it's only a two-hour jump away, which we'll have to see if that actually happens. But we finally get Tal Rowe coming back to Earth, and he breaks his assistant out of the kryptonite jail that she was put in. Yep. And it's kind of a cool thing because, obviously, we see Leslie Lair has been sitting there waiting to get out. She's been patiently waiting for a track to explode on. Yes, and Morgan Edge busts her out, and then they go to Metropolis. So we do see Superman get with his one ally that can help him, the one and only John Henry Irons. Yep. Who, ironically, has been having a little protege under his wing. I get it. It makes sense. Oh, it made perfect sense because, like He's I said... He's feeling left out. The brother's got powers. Dad's got powers. Mom's got, well, her own her own powers of being really smart and deductive. He's got... He, oh, I'm really good at football. You know, I, he needs more. There's yeah. more to life than football. Yes, Jonathan Kent, played by the one and only Jordan Elsass. 
uh, has been shadowing Wally Parks, a.k.a. John Henry Irons, yeah. and learning the ways of how to defend the Earth because he understands what he's there for. Not to kill his dad. I just want to say we're, we're stressing that point, but to deal with the alien threats that are coming into place. Mm-hmm. Because you know that, ironically, at the beginning, that's what Wally Parks' role was uh, as John Henry Irons, was yep. to kill Superman. Yep. So that's what I say. It's not the same plan that Jordan's trying to do here, but he wants to make sure that he's helping out. And I think it's a very cool thing to do. No, yeah, it is. I mean, because you got to figure in his head, he might think, all right, down the road, dad's not going to be around forever. Mom's not going to be around forever. If, if my brother needs help down the road, I want to be able to help him. And who better to learn how to help him than from a guy who can help my dad? Yes, because as he sees firsthand, Superman and Steel, let's just call him Steel, yeah. because he is Steel in the comics, takes off to go to Metropolis where he confronts Lair and Talro. And we find out that, well, Tal Rowe's got a couple new tricks up his sleeve. Yeah. That now he's basically been able to possess mm-hmm. and transfer Kryptonian essence into people. Yep. Which is always scary. Yeah. And we see that four people were in the park waiting for them. So they walk into a literal trap. Albeit, yeah. though, great action sequences as always, because that's one thing this show always nails out of the park. Oh, my God, yeah. So they wind up having the big battle in New York, or in Metropolis, rather. And then we get probably the most freak-out moment for me on the show. I don't mm-hmm. know about you. Mm-hmm. And that is when Lois gets on a rooftop with her camera woman. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it made sense. I, I kind of saw it coming. I figured it happened at some point. Oh, it absolutely made perfect sense about why it was happening. I wasn't questioning about that. Yeah. But we see the reenactment of when Lois was killed on John Henry Irons' Earth. Yeah. So we do see her on there. And Jordan, or I mean Jonathan, rather, who saw the video... Kind of is freaking out because, well, yeah. they're at a little party in Smallville. And I thought Jordan was going to learn how to fly at that point. Yeah. You know, because Jonathan says, oh, my God, this is the moment where, where Mom dies. And nobody else was there. Superman was off doing his thing. Uh, Steel was pinned down in the in the town in Millennium, Millennium Park. Uh, so I figured, oh, this is where he's going to learn how to fly and just disappear. Yeah. But, no, that did not happen, though. And Lois avoids danger. That's, you know, our superpowered pair winds up coming and save the day with Superman. Well, and she Iron. gets saved by Mjolnir. Yes. Sorry, you can't call it anything else. That's fucking Mjolnir. We have to find out what the official name is, yes, but John Henry Irons Hammer winds up saving the day and saves her from being attacked. And we do see Superman and Irons, or Steel's rather, winds up pulling everybody in except Talro. Yep. So everybody else is captured. And Lar- Lar- or Leslie there is just kind of saying... You don't know what we're up to. So they're trying to get information out of her because, like, hey, you're caught. You're at your end. Like, you can't do anything. Ha, ha, ha. We're one step ahead of you. Yeah. But she does give him a little tease about where he might be heading, and that is back to Smallville to go get more resources for the Eradicator because that's where all the, the right kryptonite is. Mm-hmm. So during this point, we do see the General Lane has finally tracked down his grandsons at the house party. He used he used military surveillance to find them, didn't he? Yes, he did. Because he he, he tried earlier in the episode, started the party. He tried calling them, and and one of the brothers, I forget which one, was like, "Oh, Granddad's calling us." You know, oh, oh, don't answer. You know, we'll get in trouble. Yeah, but he never calls us unless it's something bad going. No, nah, just let it go to voicemail. Well, what do I do? Don't call him back. He totally used military surveillance to track him down because he just shows up. It's fantastic. And he comes in and especially... And everyone in the party sees him because it's a four-star fucking general and they all collectively shit their pants. No, I love the one kid, though. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us what's going on? Do I want to deal with a drunk teenager? (laughs) What was it? The three kids who were all buddies with with, uh, Jordan. 
all collectively saw him come in, came in and then tried to hide their their cups of beer as if the kegs on the table weren't enough of yeah. a giveaway. It, it was a great scene. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely great scene. But we do see that they're making the way with Sarah to, to get back to the Kent farm, and then they get ambushed. Yep. By Talro, yep. Who literally stands in front of the jeep, flips it over. So there is a big car crash. He said all of like two sentences at this point. Yeah, he's not talking because well, he's possessed by Zod. Um, yeah. at this stage, and we see that General Lane is incapacitated. Jo- uh, Jonathan has to try using a kryptonite gun. Yeah, to shoot. Well, yeah, and he's shooting with his bad arm too. So he, he's trying to do something, and obviously misses. Jordan gets captured. Well, he doesn't even. He doesn't just miss. He. Uh, Talaro super speeds out of the way, and you don't even see him. Yeah, you don't even see. Like I said, you never had a chance to. Yeah, he, he aimed that bullet. I'm like, yeah, there, there's no way this is gonna work. No, but I, but it at least shows that Jonathan. It's a little foreshadowing, I think, for what's coming with him. And I do like seeing this kind of. Act. You know, he's gonna be more involved with the super heroics going yeah. on for next season. But we do see though, John or Jordan is now captured by Talaro. Superman finally gets there, and he's like, "What is going on?" And he says, "He's got Jordan." And then yep. we do see Jordan is compromised at the end of the episode with somebody's essence in him. Whether it's I Z- think it was, I think it was Talro's dad. It, it, might have been it sounded like Zeta Rowe. It, it's because it, it was hard to tell because the voice was distorted. But I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Zeta Rowe. Absolutely wild ending well, going yeah. into yeah. the season finale. Yeah, you got he's compromised. You know, he turned into turned against him. You know, Clark flies back to Smallville and or Metropolis or wherever uh, to Lois and Steel, and she goes, "What's going on? What's going on?" And Superman just can't even get the words out. Yeah, he, he doesn't even fully say what's going. He's just like he has Jonathan, and they both start just losing it. Yeah, he's Jordan. Or, yeah, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, no, that's it's absolutely an emotional scene too, right there because. Him, you see the the family side come out, and yeah. him as a parent just saying, "My ch- my children's in danger, and I can't do anything about it." And he knows exactly what's going to happen because yeah. we saw earlier when Talro was trying to convert Superman. Yeah, and, and speaking of emotional scenes, I got to give credit to Elizabeth Tullock in this in this episode because there was the scene back at the town hall. Yes, where the mother shows up and goes, "You don't know what it's like to lose a son." And given what we learned from her in one of the previous episodes, that she didn't def- indeed lose a son through miscarriage mm-hmm. she did i expected her to say something yeah but she didn't and i understand that but she conveyed a lot through her facial expressions without saying something so bravo to you elizabeth Tullock. yeah great scene oh uh, shit fully agree about that one man a lot of stuff in this episode yeah like i said i picked up late because i said for me in the beginning of this episode they just kind of were just going around in circles about small villains like okay i understand everybody's leaving so yeah. we can get to the story but, I mean, final thoughts on this episode, and what do you think is coming for the finale, man? Great episode. I liked it start to finish. You know, I'm always, I always enjoy those kind of, like, interludes, those kind of, like, breathe moments, because they can't be action all the time. Uh, where I expected, I have no idea where this is going to go. It's going to be batshit crazy. The episode's titled Last Sons of Krypton. It's directed by some dude named Tom Cavanaugh. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. you might have heard of him. I'm down for that. He's he's directing, uh, so it's going to be nuts, and I'm expecting a full cliff, full blown cliffhanger, because, yeah, they're going to love to do that. I honestly have no idea what to expect for next season. I really, or the season finale. I think what they did with this episode, when they finally got going on the major threat, they really hit their stride with this episode. And I think it was a perfect way to set up for the finale. And now it is going to become Jordan versus Clark. That is going to be one epic battle at the end of the season. Could it be a cliffhanger? Sure. I I don't doubt it. 
But I honestly don't know how they're going to wrap this up unless you see Jonathan has to come in and, and they have to stop Jordan and what's going to happen there. Yeah. This is just uncharted water, but this is what makes this show so good is they've captured the essence of Superman. They've really ran with it, modernized it, and made you really understand the danger involved with this because they tied it in so much family. It works on so many different levels. So I can't wait for next week. We'll have to see what happens. But we gave you our takes. So let us chat with you, ODPH Society. Episode 14, entitled The Eradicator, Superman and Lois. What was your thoughts? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And what do you think is going to go down in the finale next week? Let's have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you're into all things comics, you have to check out Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC, your go-to podcast for comic and superhero discussion, debates, polls, and more. Tune in as regular Scott and Ozzy Killmonger chat about your favorite comic topics, and you never know who may show up for an open mic or what will be next on their favorite, One Gotta Go. Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC, every Sunday, powered by the Defy Light Podcast Network. Coming back for another segment here on the ODPH Podcast. And today, as we record, we have another trip to the MCU yeah. on Disney+. Plus. But it's not a normal trip. No, no, no. We finally get the debut episode of What If. And we're getting weird. Yes, we are. Now, if you're not familiar with What If, it is a comic series that Marvel has done off and on throughout the years. And it basically takes stories that have been in their current continuum and says, well, what if... And they changed the story. Mm -hmm. So this does allow creators to get very, very creative, no pun intended, with certain iconic stories or certain origins. Like, for example, what if the radioactive spider bit Frank Castle? That's an issue. What if Daredevil had actually won or lost Born Again? That is another one. So you have different histories of this going on throughout the lineage of Marvel Comics. And like I say, when we first heard about this show, we were like, okay, how is this going to work? Because the MCU, hey, it's all connected. Well, we finally got our taste of that today on Disney+. Plus. So we are going to be talking some spoilers about the first episode of What If. So this one we are going to be enforcing the 72-hour embargo on on social media, which means don't post spoilers if you can help it because we want to give everybody a fair shot to watch it. You won't see it pop up on our social media accounts because we want to keep everybody a fair shake to watch it first. So So the only thing we will say is there is no post-credit scene. Yes, there is no post-credit scene. So that's the only uh, spoiler you'll get from us here on the ODPH. But we are going to talk about spoilers on the episode. So like I said, social media, no. Spoilers here, yes. And you know the drill by now. So in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? I thought it was a really good episode. Of course, this one was titled What If Captain Carter Were the First Avenger? Uh, so this was all Captain America 1, uh, the film focused. So I was very interested to see where this was going to go because I haven't read the What If stuff before. But I'm, but I'm intrigued by the concept and I'm intrigued by the, you know, just the, uh, the idea of it. You know, I'm always a big fan and I've always had those thoughts with like movies and videos. Well, what would have happened if, the, if things went differently? You know, if the bad guys won in, in Star Wars at the end or, or changes with Kingdom Hearts or something like that. So to finally see it, I was very interested and, and I loved the episode. And with some of the directions that went, I went, oh, that's very interesting. For me, when I first heard about this, I wasn't sure what to expect. Because in the comics, we know that Watu the Watcher is almost the narrator of the book. Mm-hmm. And he does show the alternate timelines because that is what it is set in the Marvel Comics universe. So when you start seeing these stories unfold, 
it was kind of a question of where do they exist. Now, we have heard multiple times that this show is Marvel canon. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying this is an official statement. If this is Marvel canon, so is Marvel's Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D., and you will not tell me otherwise. But this show is the animated version of everything, so we don't see the live action. We don't see the actors come back. However, we do get a lot of the voices that come back to the show. Yeah. So this is something that I thought was a very cool moment. And like we say, when we finally see the introduction of the MCU here, we get the animated scroll a little bit, and then we get Owatu kind of walking us through what is going on here. And Owatu is voiced by Jeffrey Wright. Mm-hmm. So that was a very cool thing. To that see. was a very welcome surprise. I was like, wait a minute. Is that Jeffrey Wright? Oh, it is. Yes. So forgot Jeffrey he was. Wright, Jeffrey Wright's in the MCU. Yes. So now he's officially in the MCU. And we just jump into what if Captain Carter was the first Avenger. So what they do is they decide to take a little play on what would happen if Steve Rogers was not the first super soldier. Mm-hmm. And they do a great sequence where they're showing that he's about ready to get the uh process done to become the super soldier and however peggy carter catches that somebody is trying to assassinate Uh and she winds up intervening but when this happens we see steve rogers is wounded yep during this so he can't be the one that gets the super soldier serum and they're the general there is obviously trying to scramble to get anybody but peggy carter says i'll do it because there's only have one shot to do this yep and she jumps in the the machine. Thank you, yes. I was trying to think of the official name of it, but yes, it is the machine that does the process for it. She winds up getting the super soldier serum and becomes the super soldier of the armed forces in fighting World War II. Mm-hmm. So we do see that she is still trying to work with Steve Rogers, who, I mean, he is still being her number one fan and number one backer yep. and being so supportive, too, because she's not getting a lot of warm and friendlies from the military generals. And she is still going out there. And it's almost like a reenactment of Captain America, the first event. Yeah, yeah, almost a reenactment. Slight pushback just because, well, unfortunately, that's how the world was back then. Oh, we can't have a woman going to the front lines. That's not right. It's They'll they'll be afraid you'll break a nail. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's like, there's the one scene where she's throwing like 45-pound weights into the wall and they're sticking. You know, but finally, she eventually does make her way over over to the war, and it's it's really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And Haley Atwell reprises her role as Agent Carter for the voice of this. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Stan also makes an appearance as Bucky Barnes. Dominic Cooper comes back as Howard Stark. So yep. that was that was very cool. Uh, Josh Keaton though was playing the voice of Steve Rogers for this episode. We okay, have to, we have to clarify that. So no Chris Evans back for this show. But we do see, like you touched upon, too, the times, you know, obviously are very outdated for the attitudes of the military there that they're not willing to accept Peggy Carter because she comes in there and starts kicking ass immediately. Yeah. And she does pick up where Steve Rogers is still trying to say, you know, my my best friend is here. He's captured by Hydra forces. So she goes and rescues him and the rest of the infantry. So we mm-hmm. do see some very cool throwbacks to the Howling Commandos. Yep. And I was it was cool hearing Neil McDonough, too, come oh, back as Dum Dum Duggan. So good. I was marking out about that because she goes so and good. makes the big save. And during this time, too, we do see that they wind up ret- getting the Tesseract yep. in their possession. Yep. And at the same time, too, we see Howard Stark has been working on something else. Yeah. And, Pad, what is that? Uh, it's a certain iron suit that looks a little familiar if you've seen Iron Man 1. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's the Iron Man suit Mark 1. Yes. In 1940s. Yeah. So that was a very cool surprise. I was not expecting that. Yeah. And we do see Neither that. was I. I was like, oh, th- that's the point where I'm like, okay, this feels fairly standard, you know, for the diverging of times. And then it got to that point. And I'm like, oh, this is where it gets good. Yeah. So we do see that the suit entitled the Hydra Stomper 
God, is that's a terrible name. in full effect. But yeah, but of course, it's the 1940s. I mean, look at the people that were in charge that were being so sexist towards Peggy yeah. Carter. They were not exactly the the real brain trust, so to speak, of coming up with good ideas at that time. That's why they're lucky they had Howard Stark, in my opinion. True. But we do see that Steve Rogers is in action as the Hydra Stomper suit, and they wind up trying to make another stop on a Hydra uh, train that is going delivering something of sorts, and they wind up that it is actually a trap set for them. Yep. And it does explode, so Peggy Carter and the rest of the uh, Howling Commandos are knocked off the train, but Steve Rogers is presumed dead. I And I thought, oh, they're going to turn him into the Winter Soldier. I was like... Oh. I thought so, too. Because he disappears in... Kind of the same way that Bucky does in Captain America one, and I'm like, oh, they're going to turn him into into you know turn him or plan on turning him into the Winter Soldier. Didn't happen, but would have been cool. Oh, it would have been fantastic, and that might be something that happens down the road too. We yeah, it could be. We don't know. But for this episode, though, it was Steve Rogers is gone, and then Peggy Carter gets more motivated to go take out the Red Skull because once they go to the Hydra base, mm-hmm. they realize, okay, well, the Tesseract. Uh, is now in play that Hydra now has in their possession, too. Yeah. Which I, w- I was kind of a little lost about how it went from point A to point B, but I'll just kind of go reasons and we'll yeah. go with that. Yeah. The, we do see that they make the crazy march to the Hydra castle, because they would just be a castle. Yep. And once they get in there, they find out that the Red Skull has decided to open a portal. We'll say the Red Skull voiced by uh, Ross Marquand. Yes. And we see that he has unleashed something that... I don't even think he knows what he's doing. No, I don't think he does, but I thought it was a little convenient that Hydra is opening a portal to another dimension and an octopus all, octopus legs come out of it. Boy, is that convenient. Yeah. I I was just going to say, okay, we'll just roll with it and, and see what happens. That is what it is. They're opening a portal. They don't even know what they're dealing with. They know it's Odin, and it's and it's from the, you know, the, the Asgard's. Yeah, as guardians, but like they don't really know what they're doing. No, absolutely not. And we do see the Red Skull gets crushed. Yeah, because he's not able to control it, and the thing is just wild and going to go tear through Europe and the world. And they know that they have to stop it by any means. And we do see that uh, they wind up freeing the Hydra Stomper armor and Steve Rogers. They give him a quick power boost. Yep. To go help fight, but it's not enough because it starts crashing during the battle with the octopus. And it all comes down to Peggy Carter as Captain Carter now, mm-hmm. sacrificing herself to take the creature and go through the portal with it. Yep. So you do have that moment a la Steve Rogers crashing the plane into the ice. Yep, promise, the promising world. a dance. Promising the dance that they've been teasing the entire episode, uh, then the entire movie of Captain America 1, so they wind up doing it. But then we get the cool mix, though, because mm-hmm. we do see Peggy come out with shield and sword because she stole one from the wall Yep. in hand. And she's 70 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, who did she bump into? Uh, Nick Fury and Clint Barton. Yes. Voiced by Sam Jackson and Jeremy Runner. Yep. So she winds up coming through the portal. You see the tentacles are all flopping all over the place because she wound up killing the creature. Yep. And she's like, well, what happened? And and Nick Fury is explaining, well, Steve Rogers is no longer here. Yeah, the, the war ended 70 years ago. Yeah. So She takes that a lot better than Steve did. Yeah, she was, uh, uh, well, you have to figure, though, she went through a time portal. Yeah, that's true. She's fighting some alien creature. I yeah. think at this stage, she's probably going. That's different than getting frozen and waking up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what I took. I was like, well, she's a little more calm about this. But, yeah, she's probably seen a little more stuff than Steve did when he was in ice. And then we do see that this will lead to her becoming part of the Avengers when that happens. 
And that's how the series ends. I mean, it's kind of a quick short stories, but this is what the comic yeah. was. In the, this is what the comic is. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just one issues. They don't do two issue arcs. Yeah. And every issue is a new adventure. So I thought they nailed it out of the park with this. Oh, pack. yeah. No, it was awesome. I, I loved every minute of it. It was great to see some of the folks uh, come back and reprise their roles. Uh, it was really awesome to see. Like even Toby Jones coming back as Artem Zola. Yeah. That one was cool to see. You know, and just and just some of the crazy, like, what would have happened, you know, if it went this way. Like, seeing the Iron Man Mark One costume in World War Two was just bonkers and awesome to see. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I mean, this was just a nice surprise about what we were expecting. Because usually Marvel animation, let's face it, you don't hear the rave reviews in comparison to DC. Not since the 90s. Right. So you kind of have to take that in perspective. And we're like, okay, what are we going to get out of the show? Because we do know Jeffrey Wright was going to be a Watu where we're going to see him on camera. And, you know, what was this going to be? Was he going to be live action? And, you know, we didn't exactly know what was going to go on with that. Yeah. But it was very cool to see how they had it set up from top to bottom. I mean, it's all animated, so you're not going to see any live action completely. And then where do we go from here is going to be anybody's guess. But this is just a fun little adventure for the rest of the MCU fan base because this is only going to be nine episodes, mm-hmm. and then they're coming back for a part two at some point. So this is going to be just a nice little fun bridge gap to the next live action of the MCU. And I'm here for it because we have to remember – at the end of the day, the MCU is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the Marvel Comics Universe. Mm-hmm. And these are great comic stories that you can do. And then if the fans are really demanding something, you might see this roll out into a possible Disney Plus show. Maybe. Live action. Live action. I already know from the fan base talking already on social media, people want to see Captain Carter. Yeah, no, I'd be down for that. And I'm all right with that seeing Haley Atwell come back. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm down for this. This is where the powers of the show are, are going to be interesting to see about what stories they're going to have come back and be part of the MCU canon. Because that's another thing, too. I don't think they're going to want to dance around too much with time travel and, no. and alternate timelines. No. This is, like I said, this is just a fun, fun show just to tide fans over and really say, okay, what if we did something different? And it could be a backdoor way to bring in some of those characters. Yeah, I mean, it's you never know what's going to happen here. Multiverse and is a thing now. It It is a thing here. As, like I say, this is just going to be a fun way that you know we can always say as fans, what if too? Because at the end of the day, this is just going to be for the fans, and it's going to be just a nice little bridge gap, as, as we say. Because once we get going on the live action again, oh, man, it's going to get a little out of control. Yeah, a little bit. But I'm here for it. So that being said, what did you think of What If, ODPH Society? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let us have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. First one is a bit of speculation, a bit of rumors, I guess you could say. Rumor has it. Uh-huh. Uh, it was announced today uh, that Chloe Bennett, of course, who played uh, Daisy Johnson on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, is stepping down as one of the three lead roles from the live-action CW pilot based on the cartoon The Powerpuff Girls. Really? Now, that's not what we're here talking about. I did, well, now, full disclosure, I did watch Powerpuff Girls growing up. I have no interest in seeing the show. There are some things that just shouldn't be done live-action. I feel like this is probably one of them. Yeah, in my opinion, when they first announced this, I was like, this is not going to be good. It, just my opinion. Yeah. So, according to Variety.com, uh, who has an exclusive 
Uh, the article reads, uh, Bennett was, quote, Bennett was set to star as Blossom in the pilot, which is currently titled Powerpuff. The show was originally in contention during pilot season earlier this year for a potential fall air date, but the CW made the decision to redevelop and reshoot it instead, with CW chairman and CEO Mark Pedowitz calling the first pilot a miss. Uh, according to an individual with knowledge of the situation, Studio Warner Brothers Television wanted to extend Bennett's option as they reworked the pilot, but scheduling conflicts forced her to exit instead. Ooh. Casting for a new third Powerpuff Girl will begin in the fall. Now, what could this scheduling conflict be, you might ask? Uh-huh. Well, uh, we do know that Captain Marvel 2 is currently filming, you know, so you've, you've got... Uh, that going on uh, but you did have one Samuel L. Jackson uh, take to Instagram uh, posting a caption a photo of uh, a, a beard uh, with a goatee uh, saying quote guess what time it is back in the box just in the in the Nick the and Nick capitalized to the first letter of time hashtag rested and ready to go hashtag who you gonna call so that's very clearly his Nick Fury uh, facial hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, rumor has it, allegedly, Secret Invasion is filming or, or will begin filming. Oh. So could the scheduling conflict Chloe Bennett has and not being able to reshoot the pilot of Powerpuff Girls be she is in Secret Invasion? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't heard anything. I'm just connecting some dots. Pad... Dre calls you the plug for a reason. You might have something here, my I'm, friend. I'm just connecting the docs. You know, she backs out of a lead role for a potential multi-season show. Who knows? You know, Riverdale's certainly gone on a lot longer than a lot of people thought it would. Facts. Uh, you know, but passing up being in a multi-season show on a network to for scheduling conflicts. That, and now, it must be pretty damn big scheduling conflict that you're willing to forego that. And uh, I would say being in a Marvel TV show is a pretty good reason to back out. I would say Powerpuff Girls or anything MCU. Uh, like, let, let's just MCU. be honest. Yeah, MCU wins. Uh, moving on to some other news. Uh, we know that there is a series coming up uh, down the road at some point with uh, the live action version with Ahsoka. Uh, but we got some news today. Uh, according to IGN, quote, sources have confirmed that Lucasfilm is looking for an actress to play a live version at live action version of Star Wars Rebels Sabine Wren in the upcoming Star Wars Ahsoka series. As reported by Slashfilm and the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood Reporter published an article about Marvel's What If series, and they were discussing animated characters who have made the jump to live action. When they drew, they threw in a line that, quote, Rosario Dawson is leading a live action Ahsoka spinoff for Disney Plus, with sources saying Lucasfilm is looking for an actress to star opposite Dawson as Mandalorian warrior Sabine Wren, close quote. For those unfamiliar, Sabine Wren is a human female Mandalorian warrior who was one of the main characters of Star Wars Rebels. Without spoiling too much, the end of Rebels saw Ahsoka and Sabine Wren together, which would make her addition to this new series make total sense. Uh, so this would make total sense. We do know that uh, if it's going to be live action, it's with Rosario Dawson. It's taking place after Return of the Jedi, which is when the ending of Rebels takes place. And I don't want to spoil what they get together for, because if if Sabine Wren is getting casted for the show, it's going to tie in with that show and shit's going to get real crazy and it's going to get real good. Uh, but if I, I'm really hoping this rumor turns out to be true. I'm with you. I mean, they have done no wrong thus far, so, no. you know, bring it to me. Absolutely. Uh, switching over to some Avatar Last Airbender and, and Legend of Korra and basically Avatarverse. Uh, the... 
the uh, actor uh, Dante Bosco, who played Prince Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender and then was General Iroh in uh, The Legend of Korra, and Jeanette Varney, who plays Korra in The Legend of Korra, uh, have teamed up for an epic podcast, and I do gotta say it is pretty goddamn good, called Avatar Braving the Elements. So episodes drop every Tuesday. If you're a fan of Avatar or The Legend of Korra, definitely give it a check out. Uh, they break down episodes. They interview casts uh, from the shows. It's a really good podcast, but they sat down uh, to do an interview with IGN and among other, they discussed some things, you know, could Princess Azula have been redeemed from uh, Avatar Last, Last Airbender? Would Korra have let Fire Lord Ozai live if she was in the final battle? But the, but the interesting one is uh, IGN poses the question, uh, the future of Avatar The Last Airbender universe on Nickelodeon. And the article reads, quote, Back in February, the Paramount Plus streaming platform and Nickelodeon announced a new division to creating new series and movies based in the world of Avatar The Last Airbender, which will be led by creators and executive producers Michael DiMartino and Brian Kinetsko. Uh, while nothing official beyond that announcement has been released, we wanted to know if the former Avatar stars could shine some light on what's to come. Quote, fully sworn to secrecy, Varney exclaimed. I can't, I can't even remember the context of why I found out a few things, but it is one of those things where as much as people want to know, and I totally understand, I understand that fandom that wants to steal the Game of Thrones script from the set and leak it because everyone's so passionate about it. I get it, but at the same time, I love knowing that I respect and have so much faith. I know Dante does too in what Mike and Brian do. I, I don't need to know anything because I'm supremely confident that the stories that they're going to tell, whatever they are, from whatever era, whatever it is, I'm going to be on board for, close quote. So definitely sounds like she knows a few things and can't really say anything, which is understandable. Interesting. Uh, so definitely something to keep your eye out on. And, I, and like I said, if you are a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra, definitely check out the podcast. It's it's awesome. Uh, and they, like I said, great, uh, great interviews, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Avatar, it's always kind of hit and miss with me. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's because of live action, really. Hell, that live action doesn't exist. I know. I know. I, I got to try getting it out of my head, but it, uh, does. But it does. It does. I'm sorry. Uh, and then on to casting news. Uh, Sonic, the, the Sonic movie, too, got a very interesting and very cool casting. Uh, Interest Elba is playing Knuckles. Oh, Knuckles the Ooh. Knuckles the Echidna in the upcoming movie. Uh, he posted an image of Knuckles, uh, well, Knuckles, uh, <laughs> on his Instagram account. Uh, so yeah, Idris Elba's playing Knuckles, and you gotta, you know what? I'm kind of for all for this. I'm for it. I mean, I've never been a big Sonic movie, anything about it. Like I, I know people have seen it, and they said they really like it. But this would actually make me yeah. consider going to watch it. Yeah, and I know somebody on Twitter I saw last night called this casting like two years ago when the first one came out. That's that, nuts. That, like they said, I you know they said I I don't I haven't seen the movie soft Sonic movie yet, but if they do a second one, they should cast Idris Elba as Knuckles. And it was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. But it's wild. Sometimes you put that energy on the universe, man. It comes yeah, back to you. Could be. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Funimation has completed its acquisition of the Crunchyroll streaming Ooh. service. Uh, this is an anime deal worth nearly $1.2 billion. Jeez. Uh, so reading from an article on IGN, uh, Funimation has completed its acquisition of Crunchyroll, bringing two of the largest anime streaming services together under the banning of Sony Pictures Entertainment. First announced back in December of 2020, the deal is worth almost $1.2 billion, with Crunchyroll topping more than 5 million subscribers. In a release, Sony Pictures said the deal would provide an 
op opportunity to broaden distribution and expand fan-centric offerings for consumers. Quote, we are very excited to welcome Crunchyroll to the Sony group, said Sony CEO uh, Kenichiro Yoshida. Anime is a rapidly growing medium that enthralls and inspires emotion among audiences around the globe. The alignment of Crunchyroll and Funimation will enable us to get even closer to the creators and fans who are, uh, who are the heart of the anime community. We look forward to delivering even more outstanding entertainment that fills the world with emotion through anime. Close quote. Sony's announcement follows uh, reports that the U.S. Department of Justice was probing the deal for potential antitrust violations. The U.S. government reportedly wished to determine whether the deal would give Sony a monopoly over streaming anime. It's worth noting that other streaming services have been investing heavily in anime of late, uh, particularly Netflix. Uh, the deal was evidently able to pass muster with the U.S. government, though, giving Sony a massive catalog of anime shows. It's unclear whether Sony Pictures will seek to launch uh, a new streaming service that combines the two. Whatever happens, the anime boom isn't dissipating anytime soon. Uh, and there is an update. Uh, according to Eurogamer, uh, uh, there is a potentially a chance that Crunchyroll will be included as part of a more expensive premium PlayStation Plus offering, especially since, Sony, uh, since Sony's press release mentions the goal of providing a unified subscription experience. Uh, and I have heard rumors of that as well. Currently, PlayStation Plus is $50 a year. Okay. Uh, and, and what it is is you get to play online. Uh, they offer like three or four games every month for free that you can download and play as long as you want for as long as you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber. So like I know if I booted up my PlayStation 3 at my parents' house, uh, one of the games they did years and years ago was Sonic 2, I think it was. Uh, so if I wanted to, I could go re-download Sonic 2 and play Sonic 2 on my PlayStation 3. So they offer that, but there was, I want to say it was in like Denmark or Sweden or something, that they tried for a couple of months offering that, but then also for like another 10, 15 bucks, uh, you would get a certain amount of movies every month that like you could watch those movies for as much as you wanted for that month and then it would rotate out. So it sounds like uh, Sony might be trying a higher tier PlayStation Plus subscription where you then get everything with PlayStation Plus, but then a free account to Crunchyroll. It's a hell of a deal, but man, if they if that's what they want to go with it, but man, that's yeah, that's insane that's money. Nuts, going. That's nuts. It's it's crazy. And like it's two of the biggest anime content providers providers on the planet. Yeah, coming together. I mean, yeah, I mean, the possibilities of where they could go with this are endless. Like just trying to wrap my head around this, especially for what was it, one point two billion? One point two billion. Holy! Like sick. even if even if you're not familiar with you know, go Funimation has their own streaming service. Just go there and browse what they have. Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball, and then I'm pretty sure they also have Dragon Ball GT and Dragon Ball Super. Like Crunchyroll's, you know, has a shitload as well. Yeah, like it's it, insane. It's just insane. And I mean, for the consumer, hopefully they pull off some really cool deal for you to to get on board because all that content, man. Yeah, oh yeah, Whew. yeah. Uh, and then switching to my comic picks of the week, uh, you've got Batman '89 issue number one. Uh, so this is step back into into the Gotham of Tim Burton's seminal classic Batman movies. Batman 89 brings in screenwriter Sam Hamm, uh, who worked on Batman and Batman Returns, and artist Joel uh, Quinos, who worked on Dial H for Hero, to pull on a number of threads left dangling by the prolific director. Gotham becomes torn in two as citizens uh, dressed as Batman and the Joker duke it out uh, in the streets. As DA Harvey Dent tries to keep the city together, he targets the one problem tearing it apart, Batman, and he'll get Bruce Wayne's help in taking down the Dark Knight. 
So definitely worth a check out of this if you are a fan of Batman 89. Hell yeah, man. Uh, Batman, you've got Batman The Adventure Continues, issue number three, season two. So this is the continuation of Batman The Animated Series, which has been fantastic. Uh, Detective Comics, issue number 10, uh, 1041. Uh, the Joker, issue number six. Uh, and then a couple Star Wars picks for this week. You've got Star Wars The High Republic, issue number eight. Uh, and then Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, The Monster of Temple Peak, issue number one. Great lineup going on in your local comic shop. And plus, we have to talk about a review that is on Parlay Points. Shout out to Boom Studios. They are on our, uh, they have allowed us to be on the press list. So we get the chance to preview some great comics they have coming out. And this week, Pad, is one near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Because we talk a Parlay topics here on the ODPH each week, one of which. Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. We may also talk about on 607TWS, which you'll hear on the ODPH this week as well in podcast form. Unfortunately, we're not going to be streaming. Nevertheless, we're talking WWE The New Day, Power of Positivity number two. Mm-hmm. So this book, uh, creative team is Evan Narcisse, Austin Walker, Daniel Bayless, and DC Hopkins are going through the journey of how the New Day became the New Day we know and love. Ah. So you see, basically, the first issue is when they all come together, and this is the one we get the behind the scenes of how they basically get their gimmick. Okay. So I'm showing Pad the promotional art as we speak. Oh, that's cool. Of them meeting with Triple H and kind of talking about it. Yeah. And then they do some great wrestling action as well to, you know, how they basically set up how they get over and how the personalities all come together in one big cohesive unit that is the new day as we know and love today so it's a great book if you're a wwe fan and if you're a comic fan you really want to know what the hype is about definitely go check that out and of course mighty morphin number 10 as well from boom which if you're a power rangers fanatic this one is a can't miss so that's all we'll give you that so definitely boom has got a lot going on and we always say support your local comic shop and we cannot stress enough about this saturday because pad what is this saturday uh free comic book day yes free comic book day the most magical time of the year. Obviously, it's been kind of shuffled around from when it usually is during uh, the year because obviously with COVID going on, stores want to make sure everybody had a real chance to go down to the shops and support the shops. So depending where you are, definitely check to make sure uh, your shop is going to be running this weekend uh, for it and what the guidelines are going to be depending on where you're hearing the ODPH from. So that being said, though, there is a ton of comics coming out that you definitely want to go check out. Uh, Archie Comics has got one coming out. Boom Studios, we've got to shout them out again. Enter the House of Slaughter. So you know this one has some ties into uh, Mr. James Tynan's uh, Something is Killing the Children. Yeah, uh-huh. So I know that is not a book that is on Pad's radar, so to speak. Nope. Because you don't do horror, but if you have not read that book, it's a fantastic book. You should definitely go check it out because that series has got a lot of hype coming behind it. And like I say, so if you're a fan of something that's killing the children, you'll definitely be interested in checking this book out on free comic book day. It's going to be one of the featured books going on there as well. Dark Horse Comics has one going on too with, uh, I believe, a title that Pat is very familiar with. And what is that title right there? Uh, That is uh, The Witcher. Yes. Uh, It's a critical role, The Mighty Nine Origins, also featuring The Witcher. Yes. There's going to be a Star Wars book coming out from IDW Publishing as well. The High Republic Adventures. Uh, Image Comics has got one coming out, Lady Mechanica. Mm-hmm. And Marvel has got one coming out, too. Christ almighty, I read the title. Because there's no there's no cover art for it. Holy shit. Yes, there's one that's uh, highly classified. Well, a couple that are kind of highly classified from what I'm seeing. Uh, the Avengers Hulk and yeah. then uh, 
Hulk slash Venom number one. Yeah. So oh, the, Christ. There's a lot of wild stuff going on there. Uh, also reading about the boys are going to have one by Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, Herogasm number one. Yeah. Uh, if you've not seen the show. Uh, no, nobody cares about that. Oh, you, you bite your tongue, my friend. Uh, Spider-Man Venom is going to have one as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of stuff tying in with Venom as well. Uh, so definitely you want to make sure you pick up down at your local comic shops. And I would be remiss, too. We are also on the Valiant Entertainment press list as well. I got to see some of the stuff that is coming for the Valiant Uprising book coming out this weekend as well. Okay. You need to go down and go grab some. And I will give a free plug to our good friends over at Sound Go Round in Vestal here in the 607. If you're going out for free comic book day, definitely hit them up on social media. They got a lot of stuff lined up. Uh-huh. Uh, they have got... Uh, you know they're going to be packed with some cosplaying going on. They're going to be having a lot of fun stuff going on. We posted the video from a good friend, Justin, from Just Incredible Cosplay, on the ODPH Facebook to give you a little hype of what they got going on. And seriously, no matter where you are in the world, if you got a chance to go support your local comic shop, go out there and do it this weekend. Free comics. You can go pick up free comics. Like, what else do I need to say? What else do I need to say, Pat? Uh, not much else. So that being said, definitely go check that out. Go find comicbooklocator.com, I believe, is the website. Or just type it in for Google search where your local comic shop is if you're not familiar. Now is the time to go out and support them. Support, 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 support. Because they do a lot, and this is a fun time of year to go out and definitely check your shop out. And I guess for one more parlay point, because we are talking comics, and there was a little news that shook me this weekend. And news was breaking that James Tynan is quitting Batman. Wow. And the Joker. Wow. So it has been announced on uh, comicbook.com is where I'm going to read the article from, but it's been on a couple different sites as well, that to quote the Eisner-winning writer of DC Comics' Batman ongoing series has announced his exit from the series. James Tynan is leading Gotham City behind to launch new comic, Blue Book, with acclaimed artist Michael Evan Oming via a Substack newsletter. Hmm. So one thing that is starting to pick up some steam is Substack. And this is kind of seeing like a new phase in comics, I guess, a little bit from what I'm interpreting from this is a lot of creators are going to try testing their waters and going on and trying to do something a la Substack Hmm. for books. So, Pad, I know you were not into comics during the image revolution in the 90s, but how do you feel about this? If if they want to pursue their own creative freedom and try things out on their own, more power to them. You know, I'm I'm all for creative freedom. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be something I'm kind of waiting to see how this pans out. It's kind of shocking because there's been a lot of names that have been rumored or, or going to try doing it as well. Uh, but for Tynan to leave, I know Scott Snyder is, is going to be doing his own thing on, Black, on um, Best Jacket Press. So this is going to be a, an interesting time period where you're seeing a lot more creative movement and creator-owned properties really getting some uh, big names attached to them and kind of getting away from the big big companies. So this is something we're going to keep our eye on. Uh, Tynan is scheduled to be leaving Batman on issue 117 and the Joker on issue 14. Mm, and, okay. and from the article, it's saying uh, he is not going to be writing any superhero stuff anytime soon, just going to do something a little different. But this is going to be something to see if this is going to be the next wave of you know, a revolutionary time in comics. Because if a lot of people are going to Substack, I, just, I don't know how that pans out. I know there was an article that just came out that I definitely want to kind of deep dive into a little more and uh, probably go over on the next ODPH a little more in detail about. But this is something that sent shockwaves because I know when Scott Snyder announced he was doing that deal with Comicology and Best Jacket Press, and I know like Dark Horse is tied into it as well, I think, for the physical copies. This is just an interesting time period to be watching comics right now. So definitely stay tuned for that, and I guarantee you 
our good friend over at Cheers to Comics, Mr. Brian Wayne, is going to have a lot to weigh in on this as well this week. So definitely you should be following him anyway if you're following us. We're just going to put that out there. Just saying. <sighs> so that all be inside pad. The music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout at the robots. They have got gigs galore lined up right now. In fact, I wish I could keep track of them, but then I go to one place to find out about that. Where do I go, Pad? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You can check out everything going on with Shout. All their social media links are there. The Patreon's there. You should go be a subscriber. They do a lot of great stuff, and their merch is on point, too. You can also check out everything going on with Tom Jolu, because he's playing gigs, too. His new album is fantastic. Can't preach that enough. You can also check out what's going on with Floodlands, Yard Party, our good friend Mr. Brian Wolf down in Austin, Texas, and 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 second suitor who are coming off the big big show that they had at the X where Tyler defeated Sean Carr in a suitor belt uh, championship match. I guess you're gonna find it. We have the social media video on our Instagram, so you definitely want to head on over there and check that out. But while you're at the webpage. You can also check out the classifieds, which have friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, Excite Wrestling, who was just forementioned, had a big return show this past weekend that's on Twitch. Decided to surprise everybody there. Organizational links support Black Lives Matter. And of course, all the amazing pod groups we are in via Podchaser, because you know, quite frankly, if you're not on Podchaser with your group, you're not in a group, just saying. So definitely want to shout out everybody in the pod up, shout out everybody in Innered Circle, and of course, shout out everybody, 607 Podcast, Rich, Ron, Mike C, and the one and only. Big Natty Cool. He's still on Twitter, Pat. Oh, boy. He's not going anywhere. In fact, I think he just got named today as a top fan on Game Changer Wrestling's Facebook. Hmm. And for rightfully so, because nobody reps GCW more than Diesel and Rich and myself, I think. So we definitely want to shout them out. And they just opened up a new Tee Public store. So if you want to get some Three Fat Nerds merch, some Horizon 607 hoodies, and a lot more, head on over there and check it out. We'll have the link up on the show. Uh, very, very soon. If But just head on over and follow them as well. And you can have it right on there on 8122productions.com. All of that, new Parlay Points blogs, and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.